0: Hello and welcome. It's the pleasure of Power to Change to present Family Life Today, each week, Monday through Friday at this time. We'd love you to contact this station and tell them how much you appreciate hearing Family Life Today. Well, let's get started on today's edition.
1: So we have our youngest, Cody, he called us and said, hey, I'm thinking about coming down. And then... We said, yeah, that'd be great. Well, I'll be there tomorrow. He shows up with <laughs> his two so kids. I was so excited.
2: I did not fall asleep till 3 a.m. That's how excited I was. I mean,
1: you screamed. I was in the garage, and I thought something tragic happened. <laughs> but the reason I bring up Cody is because when he was how old, you crawled in bed with him well, to do what you normally do as a mom.
2: Well, this boy, as he was younger, he had a couple love languages were very distinct. One was touch. And the other one was words of affirmation. And so every night he would beg me, Mom, get under the covers and just lay here and talk to me and kind of, you know, like put my arm around him and hug him. And so I would do that. And, you know, some nights like, oh, I just want to go downstairs. But, you know, I'd get underneath and we'd talk and I'd tell him like, man, you're great. And we'd pray. And this one night, I think he was probably 12-ish, 13-ish, and we had talked, and I just automatically lifted up the covers to just lay with him for a few seconds, and he said, what are you doing? (laughs) And I said, I I was just going to lay down with you. He said, Mom, get out of here. (laughs) I walked out of the hallway, and I said, good night, love you, walked down the hallway. I sat and I cried because he was our youngest, and it made me so sad. Sad. You're getting teary now. No, I'm not. I'm <laughs> not. not. I'm not. But it made me sad that he was pulling away a little bit, which I'm, is normal.
1: Yeah, in some ways that's a welcome to the teen years moment, which we're going to talk about today. How do you navigate the teen years as a mom and a dad? And we've got Gary Chapman in the studio, the first time ever at Family Life Today in Orlando. Welcome to Family Life Today, Gary.
3: Thank you. It's great to
1: be here. Yeah, and you've written, I mean, people know you from the five love languages. I think it's sold a few copies, you know. It has sold a few copies. <laughs> <laughs> but recently you released a book that I wish we had 20 years ago when, you know, when Cody was that young, Things I'd Wish I'd Known Before My Child Became a Teenager.
2: Well, you've been married how many years? Oh,
3: married 60 years.
2: And then you have how many kids?
3: Just two, boy and a girl.
2: What prompted you to do the... Things That I Wish I'd Known Before My Child Became a Teenager.
3: Well, you know, I, uh, I wrote, uh, first of all, it's a three-book series. The first one I wrote is Things I Wish I'd Known Before We Got Married, yeah. uh, Twelve Things That I Know Now. Had I Known Them, it would have made my marriage much easier. Yeah. Uh, and then it just seemed logical to write one, Things I Wish I'd Known Before We Had Children. Mm-hmm. You know, and then uh, after that, I thought, well, you know, oh, man, the teenage years. <laughs> because. Uh, so this one's on Things I Wish I'd Known Before We Had Teenagers. So
2: Those it, are always the books I pick up, too. Uh, yeah. Like, oh, They learned something. Let's hear what they learned. Yeah, and a lot of parents,
1: you know, when we talk to them, are afraid of these years, Yeah, the teenage years. Should they be? Yeah.
3: Well, yeah, probably. (laughs) 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 I remember the mother who said, what has happened to my son? She said, it's like his brain has changed. He's just totally different, you know? And I said... You got it right. His brain has changed.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know, as you think about, okay, the first thing that came to your mind when you think, what I wish I would have known about raising teenagers.
3: Well, I wish I had been prepared for the change that does take place in teenager brain. I mean, I knew nothing about that. Hmm. But the reality is the brain is reorganizing. The brain is shifting around. And one of those things is they're learning how to think logically. Hmm. And notice I say learning. They're not logical, <laughs> but they're learning to think logically. And that's why they question things that you've taught them for years. And it blows parents away. And I wish I had known that that's normal. They're processing things now. They're, they've accepted it when they were children. Whatever you taught them, they accepted. Mm. But now they're thinking, is this really true? And so normally we say they're argumentative. That's mm. the way we see it, argumentative. Yeah. But if we understood that they're developing logical thought, we would cooperate with that hmm. rather than trying to say, well, you know better than that. Now, don't, don't talk about that. You know, we stop the flow and we lose the influence. Hmm. So we have to learn how to receive their questions and ask, ask them. Yeah, now, that's an interesting perspective. What, what, what made you think that? Engage them in conversation. Now we're helping them develop logical thought rather than stopping the flow. I wish I'd known that. Yeah, had less arguments. <laughs> I mean, that,
1: that's wisdom. Yeah. I mean, one of the things we wrote in our No Perfect Parents book was the teenage years are the live in the question years. Yeah, yeah. And like you said, not all, always telling them, but asking and drawing them out. I remember, maybe you're familiar with, Shanta Feldhahn wrote a book called For Parents Only. Yeah. And it was really research from teenagers and parents. One of the things she said was just what you said is like when they're small, you sort of give them the building blocks of what you believe and what life is about and it's like you're building this castle with them and it's like we believe in god okay okay we, we go to church we are people of character they have all these blocks she said when they hit teenage years they'll pick up each block yeah and they'll sort of look at it like i don't know if i believe in god and most of the time we as parents just freak out like yeah. oh my goodness you're saying that's normal and we should just
3: Draw that out? Absolutely. And, and lead them to things outside yourself. Because I mean, mm. they know what you think. I mean, they've been listening to you all these years. Mm. And so, if they're questioning spiritual things, for example, you say, well, that's an interesting thought, you know? And I, I know there are people who, who actually believe that. So, why don't we study that a little bit? You know, why don't we read some stuff? Why don't we see, you know? And, and expo- like, if they're thinking, well, you know, why is Christianity the only religion? You know, I mean, these other people are good people and, you know, no. Okay, well, let's look at their beliefs. You know, let's study their beliefs. And so you just walk them through, you know, because they've got to make it their own. They've got to make, make Christianity their own. It's not you can't just give it to them.
2: <laughs> I think Dave really welcomed that when our kids were asking questions. I tended to freak out a little bit more like, oh, no, what's happening in yeah. what you're saying is it's really normal. Yeah. And it's probably a good thing for them to question because what it can do is open the door of conversation with yeah. parents. I love what you said. Tell me more.
3: Yeah, absolutely. But I think so many parents, when they don't realize that this is normal, what's happening is normal, they do become defensive. They say, "Now you know, you know, we've taught you that all these years. Now you know that's not, you know, that's wrong. Now just get that out of your mind, you know." Hmm. And so then the kid stops talking to the parents. They go talk to somebody else, and that's the last thing you want. Absolutely,
1: because they're going to talk to somebody else and get input from not another parent, probably another peer. Yeah. Talk about this. If you're saying that the brain is starting to think logically, I also read that they often will make poor decisions because of that. Yeah. So they're pulling away. They're making bad decisions. As a <laughs> parent, how do we navigate that? Because, you know, we're watching it happen, but it's yeah. sort of normal.
3: Yeah. Well, it's really hard, especially if I make poor decisions. Mm. Because we know that we're losing really far too many teenagers by the time they get to be 18. Mm -hmm. because they've been pulled off in drugs, alcohol, or other behaviors that are destructive. And this is really, really painful for parents. There's no question about that. And that's why if we, on the early stages of that, if we sense that something's going on there, we we need to be on top of it and be talking to them about that and exposing them, like, like in the drug thing, exposing them to the reality. I mean, there's tremendous material. All you have to do is go on and look at all the results of whatever drug it is, it will it, frighten the kid if they read it, mm. <laughs> you know. But so
2: you, you actually did that yeah, with your son. Yeah,
3: yeah right. And, and the other thing was with my son, I would go once a month on Saturday night to the juvenile detention center. And I'd play ping pong with the kids, and I'd just talk with them individually, you know. And I started taking my son, he was a teenager, with me. And we would play ping pong, and then we'd talk to the kids, and then riding home, and they would tell us their story. How they got there. And riding home, I'd say, Derek, isn't that sad, man? Those guys are your age. Mm. And they made poor decisions. And that's all. You know, that's more powerful than my preaching. Oh, <laughs> that's so good. If I could only stop there, I'd have gone on and on. <laughs> but you just
2: dropped a little nugget.
3: Yeah. And sometimes I would flip out a little thing out of the newspaper and say, Derek, you might want to read this, son. This guy was your age. It's really sad. It was when a teenager had been driving under the influence and to kill somebody. Mm. You know, I just say, You know, want to read this. He'd read it. I didn't say anything else, just let him read it. Let him see. <laughs> How were you able to just drop
1: it you and let same it go? You
2: Are men better than... I'm asking been... for my wife. <laughs> <laughs> no, really, you, you're you so good at that.
1: Yeah. I don't know about that, but, uh, I mean, as you look back on your, you know, years with your kids as teenagers, were there any hiccups? I mean, did you feel like, man, I one of the things I wrote about is because I blew it in this area.
3: Yeah, the whole area of anger. Yeah. That was huge. Uh, I remember, I don't know, he was probably 14, and he and I got into an argument. And I was yelling at him. He was yelling at me. And and I was saying hateful things, and he was saying hateful things. And in the middle of all of it, he walked out the door and slammed the door. Hmm. And when the door slammed, I woke up. Really? And I said, oh, God, I thought I was further along than this, Hmm. yelling at the son I love. Hmm. And I wept. I just sat on the couch and wept. And just confessed to God, you know, how horrible it was. And my wife tried to console me. She came in and said, honey, I heard the whole thing. That's not your fault. He started that. He's got to learn how to respect you. And, you know, she was, finally she gave up because it's kind of hard to console a sinner, you Mm -hmm. know. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so when he finally came back in, uh, I said, Derek, could you come in here a minute, son? And he sat down, and I just apologized to him. I said, a father should never talk to a son the way I talk to you. And I said, I said some horrible things. That's not the way I feel about you. I love you. And I I hope you can forgive me. And he said, Dad, that was not your fault. I started that. I shouldn't talk to you that way. And when I was walking up the road, I asked God to forgive me. And I want to ask you to forgive me. And we hugged and we cried. (laughs) We hugged and we cried. And then I said, Derek, why don't we try to learn how to handle anger in a better way? What if we try this? The next time you get angry with me, you just say, Dad, I'm angry. Can we talk? And I'll sit down and listen to you. And the next time I feel angry, I'll say to you, Derek, I'm angry. Can we talk? And let's learn to talk our way through anger rather than yelling at each other. Mm -hmm. It was a huge turning point. Mm. I've sometimes said that was one of the saddest nights of my life in raising my teenage son. And one of the happiest nights, sad because of my own failure, happy because he just demonstrated to me he knows how to
2: apologize.
3: Hmm.
2: (sighs) That's so powerful. Yeah. I'm thinking of the listeners that just thought, I yell at my children all the time, my teenagers. Like, this is just a constant thing where they're yelling and I'm yelling. How do I even get out of that cycle?
3: I think, first of all, you have to recognize that it's not productive, you know, you're teaching them to do what you're doing. And so, as a parent, we need to apologize when we recognize that we have failed our teenager. And some parents have said to me, Well, if I apologize, won't they lose respect from me? I said, No, no, they gain respect. They already know what you did was wrong. <laughs> but when you apologize to your teenager for anything that you know you've done wrong, you're teaching them a skill they're going to need forever because they're going to fail too. They're going to need to learn how to apologize. They'll never have a good marriage if they don't learn how to apologize. So I think that's the first step is just recognizing, you know, I'm teaching them something I don't want to teach them. What I'm doing is wrong and just apologize to God first and then to this teenager.
1: Mm. You know, it's pretty amazing as we hear that story about Derek that he's 14. And I think we underestimate he acted responded like a man, like a full-fledged adult. We often think, oh, they're 12, 13, 14, they're just a kid. In some ways, maybe they are. Other ways, they are fully a man or woman, right?
3: Yeah, they're thinking more, they're moving toward adulthood. Yeah, And so they're they're not thinking as a child now. They're thinking more uh, as, you know, moving toward. I say moving toward, they're not there yet, but they're in process. But this is where... The time that we have been with them before that in the childhood years are so important mm. because, you know, he had been in a Christian home. We would read the scriptures in the morning and night and pray with them and, you know, all of that. So he's fully aware of this apologizing thing, you know, and confessing our sins to God. And But, you know, if you didn't start when they were children, you have to start when they're teenagers. That's yeah. okay. Well, you are where you are, you know, so let's just start there and start learning what we need to be doing.
1: Well, some of our listeners have little kids. Yeah. And you just blew by what you did. I'd love you to talk a little bit about, okay, if you've got a five-year-old, six-year-old, what are the kind of things they can be doing to prep for these teen teen years coming
3: ahead? Yeah, what what we did, my wife is not a morning person, but she fixed.
1: Hey, I can relate to that. (laughs) I'm not either.
3: She fixed a hot breakfast. Every morning, I did that too. Yeah, it was that's like Mother Teresa. I mean, that's it's on that level. <laughs> I don't <you> know? <laughs> know about that, but when you oh, have hungry hers boys, are amazing. <laughs> yeah. So, so I she would,
1: did that because she
3: wanted but, to be. She committed herself to do. Yeah. She thought that was a motherly thing to do, and she did it for all mm-hmm. those years. Now, since as as the kids went off to college, that was over. You <laughs> Me know? too. She doesn't get up and cook you a hot meal every day. <laughs> I'm
2: with. I'm right with her. But
3: so what we would do at breakfast, I would read just a brief passage of scripture. We just discussed it a little bit while we were eating breakfast. with The kids and you know. I—nothing no, heavy-duty, but just awareness that our, our life's going to be based on the Bible. You know.
2: How old were they when you started? You uh,
3: well, they were old enough to sit at the table and talk. You okay. know, probably I don't know five or six years old. Yeah. yeah. And then every night, uh, we would have a little devotional time, which we were basically younger we'd read a Bible story to them out of a Bible story book, and then we didn't pray as a group. They would go to bed, and my wife or I one would go to the bed beside of them and get on our knees, and we would pray. And it, when they got older, they started praying, you know. And my daughter says, that's where I learned to pray, you mm-hmm. know. So we'd pray every night. Those were the two things that we did consistently through those childhood years. And, of course, we took them to church because I think we recognize that if they can be exposed to other Christians out there in their classes at church, that's that's just adding to the the impact on their lives.
2: I was thinking, if Derek had come home and you had apologized, I was impressed that you didn't say anything like, well, how about you? Is it your turn and what you did was wrong? But what if he hadn't apologized? What would your move have been then?
3: I think I would have probably just dropped it there. I think after I I say, hoping you can forgive me and, uh, and hope that he would forgive me without preaching a sermon to him. Because our model... Our model is powerful. Mm. When he heard me apologizing to him, he would walk away and think about it. You know, if he didn't confess it there, he, he'd walk away and think about it. And he may come back later and apologize. Yeah. But if he didn't, he's still got that model of apologizing.
1: It's good. Yeah, I think, you know, you wrote about it. There's power in an apology. Yeah. I mean, just that move by anyone. I mean, Ann and I did a little thing about how to rekindle love in your your marriage. Yeah. And as we're sitting down, like, how do you stoke the fire of romance back in your marriage? You know, the first thing we thought of was that, which yeah. you would probably think, wait, wait, wait. When you go to your spouse or your child yeah. and say, I'm wrong, I'm sorry, here's what I'm wrong and sorry about, something happens in the soul of that person. doesn't always come out the way we hope because yeah. maybe it doesn't, but something
2: softens, doesn't it? Well, it's even the proverb, yeah. a gentle answer turns away wrath.
3: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think when we apologize to someone, they're hearing us deal with our failures. And, in fact, I sometimes say apologizing is essential mm-hmm. to a healthy marriage or a healthy parent-child relationship. And the reason it's essential is none of us are perfect. You know, all of us fail from time to time. And you don't have to be perfect to be a good parent. But you do have to deal with your failures. Mm. And when we apologize to our children and request forgiveness, we don't demand forgiveness because forgiveness is a choice. But we request forgiveness of them. We're teaching them how to apologize. And they will eventually forgive us, likely, if we're apologizing. And and we're teaching them how to forgive. So it's a huge thing that every individual needs to learn is how to deal effectively with our failures because Mm. we're all going to fail. And apologizing is a huge part of it.
2: I think what we do with teenagers is we feel like we're failing. I know that as my friends and I have gotten together before, we had committed to one another. Like we're nagging our teenagers constantly and realizing that. And I think it was pushing our kids away. Like who wants to be someone around someone that's constantly criticizing? And so when we do that, it's harming the relationship
3: absolutely and what happens those children who get constant criticism they go into adulthood and they don't have the ability to give affirming words because they've never heard them wow you know and so we're doing them a tremendous disservice all they've ever heard is criticism so what will they do they will criticize so their Gary kids.
1: what do we do when we see our kids
3: <laughs> yeah. 14 15 years
1: old and they're just making bad decisions they're not listening to mom and dad we
3: Don't want to criticize them. What do we do? I think what we do, every time we have a rule or a guideline that we have for teenagers, which we should, there should be boundaries with teenagers because they need to have boundaries. But whenever we decide that this is going to be a rule or something we're going to do or not do, let there be consequences Hmm. and tell them what the consequences are going to be before you do it. For example, you know, you say, let's say they're 16 and they're going to be driving now. Okay. So there have to be some guidelines here and responsibilities. So one of the things, if you're going to drive the car, either our car or if we help them get a car, whatever, you're going to wash the car every week on Saturday before noon you wash the car, you know, if, if, if you're in a setting where you can do that. Uh, and if you ever break the law, you know, if you get caught for speeding, you will lose the car for a week. Or, you, you know, you said it. So now the kid knows and you know what the consequences will be if they break the rule. And so all you have to do, you don't have to get mad. You just have to say, well, son, you know what happens. You know, have to lose the car for a week. Oh, Dad, but this week, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. I know, son, I know. But, you know, when we break the rule, there are consequences. And so you stick with it. You don't break down when they cry, you know. You say, but all my kid friends are going to be over there. Well, I'll drive you over there, you know.
2: <laughs> I like how you remain cool during yeah, the whole that's thing. That's the big thing. You yeah.
3: And if if you have already told them what the consequences are, you're more likely to stay cool. Yeah. You see, because otherwise we operate on our emotions at the time. If we feel strongly, then we come down hard on them, you know, or if we just, you know, then we, we kind of let it go this time. And the kid doesn't know whether they're going to get consequences or no consequences. But if we all know what's going to happen before they break the rule, then all we have to do is just enforce the
2: rule. I remember being a young parent, hearing that and putting that into action and I remember thinking, this is amazing, because they already knew the rule. Yeah. They broke the rule. And then I could empathize with them. Oh, I'm so sorry. That probably makes you so mad or yeah. frustrated. But you knew the rule. You yeah. know, so it's almost like we've already set this in place. It might have been a little more intense than that in the kitchen. but <laughs> Maybe. But the times that yeah. I applied it, yeah. it was like, yeah. oh, this yeah. works.
3: It's easier for the parent. And for the teenagers. But
2: you have to be intentional to put those yeah. in place before.
3: Absolutely, and, 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 and mom and dad it. needs to agree on them also.
2: Exactly. Otherwise,
3: dad's going to let it slide, mom's going to come down on them, you know. But we both agree on it, and now it doesn't matter who's at home and who's administering—mom or dad—because everybody knows what's going to happen.
0: We want to thank David and Ann Wilson and their team for another edition of Family Life today. Although our programs are produced in America, the issues facing families like forgiveness, communication and taking care of our kids transcend national borders. These issues profoundly affect relationships everywhere. In Australia, family life is known as Power to Change and our mission is to effectively develop godly families, the kind of families that change the world one home at a time. A key part of our mission includes strengthening marriages and families all around the world. We want to do whatever we can to bring timeless truths to the challenges you face as you seek to strengthen your family and join us in changing the world. Do you need some practical help in your relationship and aren't quite sure where to turn? We offer relationship checkups where you will meet with one of our trained relationship coaches who will help equip you with some new tools while you take a more holistic look at your relationship. For more information, email radio at powertochange.org.au or check out our website, families.powertochange.org.au under the Need Help tab and get started today. We hope you can join us tomorrow at the same time for another Family Life Today. Thank you.